0: We're coming to the end of our one-month-to-live journey. Not that we think it's the end, but because we want it to be the beginning. Because we want to live our lives as intentionally as we possibly can, we've been asking ourselves over these weeks the question, what would I do if I knew I had a month to live? How would I live differently? How would I seize the moment? How would I make the most, the best, of the opportunities that life gives me. This morning, to bring all that together, I want to talk under this heading, the Easter door, he says, looking for his glasses, found them. The Easter door. Because if we have only got one life, and if we have only got a limited amount of opportunity, then the doors that we choose All the doors that are closed that we wish were open really matter to us. You see, doors are everywhere, aren't they? When you left your house this morning, you went through the door. You opened your car door to drive to church. You came into this building through the door. At least I hope you did. They're part of our lives. And we barely notice the many doors that we walk through. Until the day a door is shut. Shut doors irritate us profoundly. When the shop door is closed and you wanted to make a purchase, you are frustrated by that. When the coffee shop is closed and you need a fix, you're frustrated by that. When the road is closed, the call centre is closed, the office is closed, whatever it might be, when the door is closed, we suddenly notice that there was a door. In life, we talk about doors being closed. Maybe the door to a promotion seems closed, or or the doors to various opportunities. We talk about the door being shut or even slammed sometimes in our face. And there'll be people here this morning, maybe more than we care to imagine, who feel like the door to their lives has been slammed shut. Not only closed, but bolted and maybe deadlocked too. The door is shut, it can, never will be open. And add to that what most people think about religion. Most people think of religion as a door-closing activity. Instead of opening up life's possibilities, religion closes it down and we uh, uh, know that and perhaps have good reason to suspect that. Religions are, don't do this and do do that and you must do this and you mustn't do that. It's a door closer, a door slammer and we don't like doors being closed. So most of the time we give religion a wide berth and I would agree. Why choose something that closes the door to our lives? The mistake, though, is when people think that Jesus and the life that He came to offer was all about a religion. It wasn't anything like a religion that our world had become so used to. In fact, if what Jesus was about was religious, then the religious people would have loved Him. But in fact, it was the religious people that in the end nailed Him to the cross. Whatever else Jesus came to bring, it wasn't another religion. If religions close doors, I want to say in just a few moments that what Jesus came to do, what Jesus brought, was a door flung wide open. In a world that closes doors, Jesus came to open them wide. At the time of Jesus, the people worshipped in the temple, Now right in the middle of the temple was a massive curtain, now I mean massive, this curtain that stood right in the middle of the temple was about 20 metres high, now before the service we were kind of calculating how high we think 20 metres is. We think that 20 metres is about 8 storeys, so it's higher than the ceiling of the church. So you imagine a curtain that is absolutely massive. 20 metres high, 10 metres wide, and about 8 centimetres thick. Depending on what it was made of, this huge curtain would have weighed between 4 to 6 tonnes. Jewish writings talk of it needing around 300 priests to carry it. And there it was, right in the middle of of the temple. It was guarding or hiding the place in the temple that they called the Holy of Holies. It was there in the Holy of Holies that represented where God lived. Now we all know that God possibly, couldn't possibly have lived in there. A God who created everything is the God that fills every space and the people that built the temple knew that too. But they wanted to represent in some way where God was. And they understood that He lived there in this central place. But no one, no ordinary person, ever saw it. All they could see was this massive curtain that separated them from, that kept them away from, that kept them outside God's presence. So every time they worshipped, every day when they went to the temple to pray, all they could see was this huge curtain facing them. And they were reminded every time that there was this great big barrier between them and God. He was holy and perfect and they weren't. And so they were separated from him. They couldn't get near him. They couldn't really know him. There was this huge barrier in the way. When something comes between us in our relationships, it can be really horrible, can't it? You've argued, you've disagreed, you've fallen out, and there's like this big wall between you, this great barrier, just like the curtain in the temple. Many years ago, we were on holiday in Brittany in the springtime, and we went with another couple, and we were walking along the the vast beaches of uh, Brittany, and this couple went off and walked in, in the distance. And after a while we could see that they'd obviously had a big row. Now we couldn't hear anything about what they were saying, but it was obvious by the way that they were walking, by their body language, you could almost see the wall of hostility that had risen between them. We all got back in the car. We could feel it, the tension in the air. We talk about being able to cut it with a knife. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you ever walked in on people just after they've rowed? You can feel it, can't you? You can feel the tension in the air. And as much as they pretend that everything's normal, you can feel it there. We live in a world that's fallen out with God. And the angst that we see and the angst that we feel is the invisible barrier that's there all around that exists between us and God. There's a tension in the air because we've fallen out. If an alien turned up and looked at our world, it would be like the aftermath of a great big row with God and we're just still not speaking. And you can feel the tension, see it in the air, the atmosphere all around. The trouble with us is that we don't go to that temple every day or week by week. We don't see that great big curtain anymore, reminding us that life is the way it is because there's this great barrier between us and God. So we still feel the angst, but we forget why it's there and we forget where it came from. And because we forget why it's here and where it's come from, we do all kinds of weird things really to try and put it right. We try and deal with our angst by bettering ourselves or by getting that extra promotion or that salary rise or whatever it might be. We think somehow we can buy our way out of this angsty, difficult situation. If only we'd remember that the angst is because this relationship has broken down. When someone dies, people face the enormous pain of a relationship ending. Death brings that ultimate barrier. Imagine going to someone who was grieving and saying, have some money, that'll help. We would know instinctively that somehow that was insulting. We, We would understand if they were angry, how can a little bit of money help them with all this angst that they feel because of this relationship that no longer exists. And yet in life, there is this great relationship that no longer exists. And we think we can buy our way out of the angst. The people in the temple knew that whatever they did, they couldn't fix it. Massive curtain. They couldn't move it. They couldn't get through it. They knew every day that whoever they were, wherever they'd come from, whether they were the top of the class or the bottom, whether they were rich or poor, all of them were the wrong side of the curtain. But then something happened then something happened. As Jesus hung on the cross, the Bible tells us that it went terribly dark. And Jesus experienced in those moments all that it meant for him to be terribly, utterly, completely alone. And when he'd taken all that upon himself, the Bible says that he died. And then we read these words. At that moment, the curtain, the curtain, Of the temple was torn from top to bottom. The constant reminder that we were separated from God, the daily check that our lives are never meant, that are never what they could have been, was torn from top to bottom. The massive thick impenetrable curtain was divinely shredded when Jesus died. God has flung open the door into his presence. Wide open for us to know him, to be with him, to live with him again. You'll know in our relationships that if there's been a falling out, after all the angst, the bitter words, the harsh accusations, it's such a release, such relief when one partner opens their arms, reaches out in forgiveness, offers the olive branch of a new beginning. That's exactly what Jesus did. As his arms were stretched wide on the cross, they were wide in welcome. He was offering that new beginning, offering that new start, reaching out in forgiveness and saying it can be a different way. And he ripped up the curtain just to prove his point. So we're reminded at Easter the reason for the angst. We've fallen out with God. There's distance between us. So much distance, in fact, that we forget that God was ever there in the first place. We're so far from him now that that the angst is is here and, and we've forgotten where it came from. And so we try to fix it. A bit more money, a better job, the right friends, the right opportunities, the right looks, the right personality. But all to no avail. But if it was possible to know God again, imagine the difference that it might make. If I started up a relationship with the Queen... Now the only reason for not doing that is my part, I just haven't had time. (laughs) If I was to start a relationship up with the Queen, imagine the difference that that would make to my life. But how much more? What exponential difference to my life if somehow I was able to build with the Creator God. People have testified time and time and time again that this relationship with God is so life-changing that it doesn't matter how great the angst is that we feel. This God and knowing him can sweep it all away. I want to introduce you to someone whose life circumstances were so bleak and so cruel, you would understand if he was the most angry man on the earth. He had every reason to spit feathers about the way life had treated him. Meet Nick, born with no arms and legs, who discovered that Christ is enough, no matter how deep, how real the angst in our lives is.
1: have a seat. Thank you so much.
2: Nick, man, we've been having so much fun the last couple of days. I mean, I can't imagine what life is like with you on the road. I mean, your sense of humor is just awesome. It's got to be fun. Hang We around have you. fun.
1: We have a lot of fun. You know, like our, our schedule's so busy when you're going around Africa and Indonesia and you just need a couple laughs to break it up a little bit. And I tell you, man, I have lots of fun in my little uh, BMW 7 Series behind me. And, uh, we're going to send it to Pimp My Ride, and uh, <laughs> we're going to get some spinning rims on it and uh, get like a subwoofer and just get it bouncing, you know what I mean? Like, have a whole party in my wheelchair, and uh, it's quite funny when I drive around shopping malls and outside in public places, a lot of people, you know, some sort of freak out, and you know, these little kids, I love running after them, and... Uh, <laughs> There was this one boy who saw me one day and he goes, What
2: happened?
1: And I went up to him and I go, Cigarettes. I uh, <laughs> love freaking kids out, man. We were in this uh, airplane one day and my friends put me in the overhead compartment. <laughs> A lot more leg room up there. So no they shut the door and we waited for somebody to come and put their bag up <laughs> this guy came open the door go boo, you know <laughs> I said the restrooms are over there <laughs> <laughs> the funniest story though is I was in a car one day and when you see me from the outside of the car you have no idea that I have no arms and no legs you just see my head and We're at the traffic lights one day and this car comes up next to us and this girl's looking at me. And I'm like, cool, let's have some fun here. So (laughs) I look at her and I grab the seatbelt in my mouth and I loosen it. And then in the car seat, I just did this. (laughs) She was like... I've never seen anybody so desperate for a green light in my life. Was, you know, that's
2: a couple of funny stories for you. That's man. awesome. Yeah. We have a lot of fun. We've been having a blast the last couple of days. But I know, Nick, um, when you were born with the out limbs, the, there's no medical reason for it. And your parents... I can't imagine what they felt, you know, with kids teasing you and wondering why God did this. Did you ever question God? Definitely, definitely. I went to church
1: every Sunday and went to Sunday school and learned, you know, all the favorite Bible verses like um, Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And I looked at that thing and I'm like, I, you know, other people could apply that in their life. But I couldn't. I couldn't see that hope and future. I, I, I got so angry at God. I said, God, why would you make me like this? Why? I mean, you may as well just have created a fish with no tail. I mean, what purpose will I ever fulfill in my life? I can't do this and I can't do that. And people teasing me and putting me down. And I just would never have thought that I would become the independent man I am today, traveling around the world and doing what we're doing. So it was
2: very, very hard, very hard. Mm. And the purpose now is starting to come to light. I and mean, I can imagine you've gotten two degrees. Type
1: what? Oh, we've we've done a double degree in accounting and financial planning. I've done it, and by the grace of God, and with this foot, I type forty-three words a minute on a normal computer. It's pretty cool. That's
2: awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Well, what was the turning point for you? I mean, questioning God, not knowing the purpose. I mean, what happened to get you to realize that God cared about you, even in these times where you couldn't see it? Right. That is when my life
1: changed. And before I was 15 years old, I realized that as human beings, we want to know two things. In your pain, you want to know that you're loved. And second of all, that everything's going to be okay. I couldn't see that anything was going to be okay. I never thought I'd get a job, I never thought I'd ever get married. I thought even if I ever did get married, I can't even hold my wife's hand. I won't be able to dance with my bride on our wedding night. And when we have children, how am I going to put my arms around my kids when they're crying? And no one had any answers for me, and I wanted to believe that everything's going to be okay. And people used to come up to me and say, "Hey Nick, everything is going to be okay." <laughs> I used to get him. Everything is going to be okay. I want to go up there and headbutt him. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> go, what do you know? You don't know how my pain is. You don't know what's around the corner. How can you tell me that everything's going to be okay? But it was when I read. John chapter 9 when I was 15 years old and was convinced that God knows God knows what he is doing you see no one could tell me why I was born this way and no one could tell the blind man in John chapter 9 why he was born that way either but Jesus said it was done so that the works of God may be revealed through him and it was done and it was shown and just this tangible faith and peace of just knowing that someone understands that God who is bigger than my circumstance is letting this happen for a reason and I came to a point of saying Lord I don't understand this purpose but I trust that you know what you're doing and that is when that peace of God gives you that strength to get through from day
2: to day. Mm. And now, Nick, I mean, the purpose is so clear. Back <laughs> yeah. then it wasn't, but it's amazing to see what God's doing through Nick and his ministries. He's going all over the world. Tell us about that. It's powerful.
1: It's, it's amazing. I, I could speak for half an hour just about that. God is opening up doors of nations that are very close to the Bible um, and the gospel message. Africa. India, Indonesia, just to name a few, and uh, it, it's it's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. Uh, this DVD of my life um, that I have that that where you can go up there and check it out at, in the foyer, but this DVD is being black marketed. It's basically my story of how God's changed my life with the gospel message on it. And in the places where you cannot preach, these black marketed copies are being shown and I mean it's just (laughs) in Africa I was you know on TV across East Africa to 50-60 million people and uh, I mean just the way that people look at disabilities over there is so shocking we are so ignorant to it when a baby is born with any birth defect as, as little as a cleft lip take it to the extreme i'm not going to use colorful language but that's exactly what they do and it's in their newspapers and then basically it's a shame for the family to have a disabled child so they abandon it and then they hear of a guy without arms and legs with a smile with hope it doesn't register in their mind and that's why we bring in these crowds india over five nights three hundred and fifty thousand people came to hear the gospel message and we saw eighty thousand make a first decision to have Christ into their life.
2: It's huge. It's huge. well when I was preparing this message about joy one of my teenagers walked in and we started talking about joy and he asked me he said dad what is joy exactly? I mean, how do you, you know, describe it? How do you get a handle on joy? And, and I said, well, let's talk about that. And we talked about it a little bit. And then he said, do you think if Nick had the choice today, if God gave him the choice, and said, Nick, if you want arms and legs, I'll give it to you. It's up to you. What do you think Nick would say? And then I said, you know, I don't know. It's a great question. I'll ask him. So Nick, I know you get asked that a lot, but what is your answer to that? You know,
1: I want to be completely honest with you. That's that's just who I am. I'm real with people. And from the bottom of my heart, I'd say that I would choose this all over again, 10 times over, knowing that one soul through my life would be changed forever and see that you don't have to do this alone. You see, because of my weakness, you see the perfect strength of God, knowing that I couldn't do this on my own. And when people hear me preach, as much as they want to try resist to the truth, they have no choice but to believe me. Why? Because my pain is real, but my victory is real. And I am a miracle of God that you cannot argue with. You cannot argue with my smile. You can't argue with the strength in my eyes. You can't argue with it. And so, if I am that miracle for somebody else, here I am. Let's do it.
2: Well, let me ask you this if there's one thing you could tell us about joy and how to experience joy I mean, what would it be what do you see as uh, most people their greatest barrier to getting joy in their life you know what it's, it's about
1: perspective do you know what we do as human beings we find such peace and quote maybe comfort in your pain when you see somebody else going through something different Like, all of a sudden, people come up to me and say, Nick, I'll never complain again in my life. And I'm like, don't worry, tomorrow is Monday morning. You'll be complaining. And so there is no... (laughs) That security or that comfort that you have in your pain by comparing your sufferings to my suffering will only be temporary. But the comfort you have in Him... What does that mean? What can you rejoice about today? Well, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you know that your sins have been forgiven and that Jesus has set you free from all fear and all guilt. Now, if that's not something to rejoice about, to know that we're going to be in heaven with Him face to face for billions upon billions upon billions of years, no tears of pain, I mean, that's something to be happy about. No, of course it is. But this is the thing. We need to know that God never makes a mistake. That if he doesn't change that circumstance, then he will use it. And when you come to a point of zero selfishness, and I strive for that, I'll never reach that. But that's my goal to fully trust in him to say Lord thank you that you know how I feel but I thank you that you are with me and everything is gonna be okay you know maybe you're a person today who's tried to get through your life on your own and you know that you're tired you know you're exhausted And even Christian parents come up to me and cry on my shoulder and say, Nick, I don't know how to pray for my kids anymore. If you want God to draw near to you, draw near to Him. Put your faith in the Bible. Because in the Bible is where I find my strength. Promises. That will never fail me. His grace is sufficient for you, for your family, for your job, for all that you need. He's there. You won't feel it. You won't see it. Maybe for a while. But that's where you walk by faith and not by sight. When things go wrong, it's going to be all right. It's a cool song. But I want you to know today that you don't have to do this alone. And Jesus is right here.
0: We don't have to live with the angst. a door was flung wide open. Nick understood what it means for the curtain to have been torn in two. But there's one other part of this Easter door, this Easter message, another door that flung wide open on that first Easter. Jesus had died. They were sure about that. They didn't break his legs. They just uh, stuck a spear in his side and blood and water flowed out. And someone was kind enough to give him a decent burial. They took the body down from the cross, wrapped it in cloths, and they placed it in a cave, a a usual place for a grave. In the Mediterranean heat, though, graves were a, a health hazard. In places of poverty, looting was all too commonplace, so the entrance needed to be sealed. So they would take a big boulder... And digging a groove in front of the grave, using gravity, they would push the boulder down the hill until it fell into the groove, wedging itself, stuck, jammed, solid, and the grave was sealed. That's what happened. And there was something final about it, that stone rolling into place, kind of uh, uh, closing that entrance that it would never be opened again, finished, nothing more here. A vivid reminder in that stone of the finality of death itself. The end finished over. And to be honest, the finality of death is something that frightens many, if not all of us. It's why we shroud death in mystery in our country. It's why we hardly talk about it. It's why when someone dies, we're not sure what to say. It's why we talk about people only in the next room or being just a moment away. Anything but face the finality that it brings. Anything to avoid the futility we feel if everything ends in the grave. But does it? On that very first Easter Sunday, very early in the morning, the women took their spices that they'd prepared and they went to the tomb and they found the stone rolled away. The curtain was torn, the stone now rolled. The stone, the symbol of death, the sign of the end, the final declaration as that stone rolled into place that it was all over, had now already been moved. Death, not the end, is, gra- is the grave not the final moment. No, God has flung the door to life greater than death, open wide. The door that all humanity has only ever known as closed, locked and bolted, was being opened. The grave, the place from which no one has ever returned, was now wide open. He wasn't dead but alive, death, not the end but a new beginning. The stone that never got rolled back had been rolled away. Life beyond living hope when all hope is gone. Life that even death itself would not take away. Easter, you see, is about God flinging doors wide open. The doors wide open to know Him that releases us from all this angst and pain in our lives. The door wide open that takes away even the fear of our final end. But there is one door this Easter that God cannot open. There is one door that can remain firmly shut. And if this door remains shut, it doesn't make any difference how many other doors God has opened. We still won't get through if this door is shut. The door is your door. It's the door to your heart, the door of your life. And it doesn't matter how many doors God opens for us, if your door remains closed, it'll mean nothing. If your door remains closed, it'll make no difference. You'll still live with the angst. You'll still live with the uncertainty of death one day. So a question. Will you fling, open the door to Jesus? Jesus, the answer to life's question. If you open the door, then all the doors that God has opened will make sense. Every door that he's flung wide will have meaning. If you open that door, yeah, Jesus will come in. And if you open the door, yes, Jesus will come in and he will want to bring some change. He will want things his way. But hey, deep down in our hearts, we know that's what we need. Because we've tried it our way. And we've done our thing and still all the angst and still all the unknowing. Easter is about God throwing the doors wide open. What a huge tragedy. What a missed opportunity if we keep our door firmly shut. Right at the end of the Bible, Jesus puts it like this. He says, I stand at the door and it's like I'm knocking. And if anyone hears my voice, and opens the door, I, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Do you hear the knocking? Do you hear his voice? You see, maybe you've got to this point many times. You've been in this church or other churches or, or, or with friends and, and you, you know that there is a response that you need to make. You've heard the voice. You've felt the knocking on your heart. But you've turned away. And I want to ask this morning, maybe this morning, this Easter, Easter 2009, is the day when you'll hear His voice and you'll open your heart so that the curtain that was torn, the stone that was rolled, would make sense and have meaning in your life, today. It's all up to you. At the end of the day, the true Easter door is the door of your heart. Let's pray.